We're owning it for ourselves. We want to live the best lives that we possibly can, and sexual health is part of that. Welcome to Sex, Body, and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency, and on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do, and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome onto the show the incredible Dr. Lindsay Harper, who started her career and still is practicing as an OBGYN. She has every award known to man. She's an incredible gynecologist. And most recently, she has started a tech company called Rosie, which is a women's health technology company that connects women who have sexual health concerns with community and research-backed solutions. She is going to talk to us about why you should try to have sex before you do the dishes. Dr. Lindsay Harper, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to see you and hear you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I always love spending time with you and this is just more of that. So thanks for having me. Well, we're very, very excited about Meet Rosie and hearing your story. And my first a burning question for you is how on earth did you go from being a fantastic, well-known OBGYN to being a tech entrepreneur who tells erotic stories? <laughs> it is quite the transition, that is for sure. I mean, and it has been a long one too. So, you know, whenever I was growing up, my goals in life were to either be a doctor or a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always said when I was a little girl. And so in medical school and in residency, and even for the first, you know, many years of private practice, I never imagined leaving patient care and doing anything else. I truly feel in my heart that my calling is to care for the health of women. And I absolutely love that privilege and that honor and that connection that I'm able, you know, to make in the exam room or in the operating room or in the delivery room, whatever the context is. That truly fills my cup. And so for me, it was a huge and a big and a life-changing decision to say, you know what, I'm going to change the way that my life looks and the way that my work looks. But it was really driven by that passion for women's health. When I realized, you know, my patients were asking me a lot of questions that I didn't know the answers to about their sexual health. How, what do I do about, you know, my low sexual desire? What do I do about sexual pain or trouble with orgasm? And I could not help those patients because sadly, I just hadn't learned those things in residency. So as most residents do not, unfortunately. So um, I went and, you know, got a lot more training and became really quite angry about the fact that 43% of women are suffering with a sexual problem, but we as women's health experts don't have the training we need to help them. And so was driven really by the same thing that got me into OBGYN in the first place. And that same motivator pushed me into the world of being an entrepreneur, which is that I really want to help women in a meaningful way. And this is the way that I'm doing that right now in my life. So Mm. while it seems dramatically different for me, it's driven by the same mission. And there's been a lot of learning and growing along the way. And I'm always up for a challenge. That is like a good thing and a bad thing about my personality is I'm never going (laughs) to, never going to sit still for too long. So if there's an opportunity for me to try something new to put myself out there, then I'm going to do it. And so that's, that's really what led me to Rosie. Well, I think millions of women out there are going to be very grateful for your new mission. So let's meet Rosie. Amazing. Tell us about Rosie, what it is, why you've done it, 
and how it works for women who are struggling with their sexuality. Absolutely. So, you know, when I was undergoing all of this extra training about how to help women with sexual problems, I was learning all the evidence-based ways to help women. And that's really important as a physician that we're not selling things that seem fun or seem like they might be interesting or seem like they might be helpful, but actually have proven efficacy through studies, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I was learning all these things, I'm like, you know what? A lot of this isn't that difficult. A lot of this is education, teaching women about how their bodies work, teaching women about sexual desire and what's normal for women, teaching us how to talk to our partners and think for ourselves about our sexuality. So education is a huge therapeutic part of sexual health for women. As as is self-help, as is, you know, a lot of these other things like erotica, for example, which I know you mentioned, mm -hmm. these things that are proven to help women. And in my estimation, we're perfectly paired to put in a platform, which is what we've done. So Rosie is a mobile platform. And the goal of it really is to meet women where they are in their very busy lives and help them to find evidence-based information and interventions for whatever sexual health problem they might be facing. So we know that, you know, 43% of women have an issue. That's 84 million women in the United States. And these women deserve access to these resources. And Rosie is a free app that can be downloaded to do just that. There's also a paid version of the app, but you never have to become a paid member if you don't want to. Um, and we're just there to start conversations and to spread evidence-based information so that women can get the help that we need. Wow. 84 million women struggle. And that's just in the U.S. Just in the U.S. Yes. 1.9 billion women in the world, if you can imagine. 1.9 billion women around the world. Are they having orgasms or are they struggling? What are some of those issues? Absolutely. They're struggling in some way. And the most common issues that you know we, we hear about are low desire, which is about 38% of women report a distress, like a, a trouble with desire. So it's some people don't care about sex. They're asexual. They don't have a need for physical intimacy. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about women who at one time had desire and, and it's sort of fallen off and they miss that part about themselves. Um, about 20% of women struggle with orgasms. So either their orgasm has gone away or it's less intense than it used to be, or it takes longer to achieve. We're also talking about trouble with sexual arousal. So maybe you feel desirous, but for whatever reason, your body's not responding. And then also trouble with lubrication, which can be, you know, an issue throughout life, whether it's from birth control, from, you know, breastfeeding due to the effects of menopause. There are many reasons that women might have vaginal dryness. And all of these things go into, you know, how we experience sex, how we think about it, how we feel about it. And that is not even including women with sexual pain, which the stat there is that 75% of us will experience sexual pain at some point in our lives. So there's so many issues to tackle that are serious and are treated seriously in men's sexual health. And we're all raising the flag that these issues need to be treated seriously in women's sexual health as well. Yeah. Why is that? Why can we so freely talk about erectile dysfunction? Why is it a government-funded program and when it comes to our sexual well-being, we're banned on social media for talking about it. What is all that about, Lindsay? I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but it's the patriarchy, right? Like, who cares about men's sexual health more than men? And, you know, women, women have been told for centuries to drink a glass of wine or go on vacation. Our sexual health has been treated as a byproduct of reproduction or men's pleasure. 
And so, you know, this fourth wave of feminism, we are standing up and saying, you know what, we deserve pleasure for pleasure's sake itself. Our clitoris is made simply for pleasure on our bodies. It wasn't made for someone else's pleasure. It's made for ours. And we are starting to understand how sexual health affects, you know, the other aspects of health for Mm -hmm. women. So Mm -hmm. it's not just about those old constructs of reproduction and of men's pleasure. We're owning it for ourselves. We want to live the best lives that we possibly can. And sexual health is part of that. And we have to stand up for it because, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that a lot of other people are going to. So we've got to, as women, really band together and demand these changes. Mm. I was at a birthday party last week with one of my dear friends and we were sitting around the table chit-chatting about the body agency and I just came out with it and I said, you know what, girls, an orgasm a day keeps the doctor away. (laughs) And the shocked look I got from everybody, you know, women my age, their first reaction was utter shock. And then then the next reaction was, well, what do you have to help yeah. with that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly my experience. People, not just women, people in general want to talk about this stuff. They just aren't sure where the right places to talk about it are. Yeah. They aren't sure how, if they brought up the conversation on their own, how it would be received. So, you know, I think you and I, who are desensitized to words like orgasm and vulva and vagina, bring these things up all the time and probably have similar experiences, which is, that once given that safe place where they know that, you know, you're not going to like make fun of them or shame them or ridicule them. And that in fact, maybe you have some help and some solutions that they really want access to that information, right? Because these Mm -hmm. are issues as humans that we all deal with, but we're just not sure where to go to get that help. And that's what I know the body agency is all about. And definitely what Rosie is about really connecting women and people generally who have these questions and issues to the to the right places to get them in a shame-free, um, evidence-based way. Yeah. And I, I think it's super helpful also, you know, you're a doctor, you're credible, you know what you're talking about, you've got the statistics. We essentially need to build a little bit of a revolution, I think, in this regard. Or a big one, Kate, a big one. Uh, well, you know me, I, I only do big things, uh, otherwise right. I go home. But this is something that has been with me for a long time. I don't think I had my first orgasm with a man until I was in my mid-20s, because I just didn't understand how my lady parts worked down there. And for me, it was very much in the head. Right rather than in the vagina. But I will be honest in saying I didn't know where my clitoris was. I didn't know how I was put together down there. And in a way, I wish somebody had told me. Absolutely. Because I wasted a lot of good years not Just having not sexual knowing. pleasure. Yeah, not knowing. Absolutely. So what do you think are some of the solutions to this? Is it is it your mother that should be telling you these things? Is it your best friend? Is it your gynecologist? And how do we make this part of the norm because it should be part of the norm. Absolutely. I totally could not agree more. As in, would you like a cup of tea or would you like an orgasm? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your pick. What do you feel like this afternoon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, it's all about education, right? So we do coaching through Rosie and we had a big coaching call last month about orgasm problems. And there were several members just like you who were just writing in on the coaching call 
I've never had an orgasm through penis and vagina sex. What's wrong with me? These women have Mm. seen like 10 doctors and basically are feeling like something is broken with them. And that's how their partner is feeling too, either that they're an inadequate partner or that maybe they're, you know, the, the female partner, something's psychologically or anatomically incorrect. And for us to say, you know, more than 75% of women have orgasms through clitoral stimulation only, right? That that is Mm -hmm. the primary way is like a switch just flips for them. And they're like, oh my gosh, nothing is wrong with me. Like, how is this possible that this information, this misinformation is so widely spread whenever, and women are feeling like there's something wrong with them when in fact they are in the majority. And so for me, it definitely is all about education. It's about giving women the language they need to talk about these things comfortably, right? When we mm. when we refer to our female genitalia as our hoo-ha or our kitty or our whatever else is ambiguous and not descriptive, we're doing ourselves a disservice. So as passionate women's sexual health advocates, you know, it's our job to say, hey, let me get my vulva puppet out, which I know you guys are involved in as well. Yes, here's the the clitoris, here are the labia, (laughs) here's the vagina, here's the urethra, here's the anus. Like we, we have to name it, right? And we have to empower ourselves with that language so that we can teach and talk to our partners so that we can feel comfortable and not ashamed about those parts on our own bodies, just like little boys are taught. They are taught their correct genital anatomy and girls are just, it's sort of like glossed over, right? And so we have to, as women, as grown women, know that stuff first. And then the answer is all of the above. Our moms, our sisters, our friends, the media, right? Sex scenes in books, sex scenes in movies. We all need to be portraying that women's pleasure comes through clitoral stimulation, not just penis and vagina sex, because that's doing us all a disservice in the long run. So let's talk about the role of men here, because as you just said, they get to easily find their way around their penis, their whole body. They grow up because it's there knowing their way around it. For them, you know, masturbation is completely normal and they start playing with it as a baby. But they don't really get any education about a woman's body. So we at the Body Agency, as you know, we find educating boys about Mm -hmm. the woman's body just as important as educating the the girls. So what do you think needs to happen there? Just in my experience, you know, whenever you talk to a man, he's like, oh, God. I know what I'm doing. I don't need any education. (laughs) Actually, sweetheart, no, you don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've got news. Yeah. So it's interesting. So Rosie as a platform was designed for women, but I have tons of partners, male and female, writing in and really asking for that education. Mm. In my experience, a lot of these partners are really they are sad that they missed out on it too. And they're really excited to understand the part that they play and how they can really, you know, help their partner to achieve sexual wellness, whatever that might mean for her as a person. And so I think that it's just like men in general, there's good ones and there's bad ones. Um, But I think the vast majority of them, I'm an optimist, are good. And they really do have a thirst for this knowledge as well. It's just, it's not available, right? It's not available when we're growing up. We learn, like we talked about, about in sex ed, whatever that means, we learn about sexually transmitted infections. We learn about pregnancy, but rarely do we talk about pleasure. And so a comprehensive you know, sex education program includes talk about pleasure, includes talk about intimacy, includes talk about consent, 
And so it all starts at this early age that we convey this information to our preteens, teens, young adults, and we give them this information at an age-appropriate time, but that we don't really make a differentiation between, you know, little boys masturbating and little girls masturbating. Like there is no difference in this new world and we need to treat boys and girls the same and teach them about all bodies and how we can respect and honor everyone. Mm. So let's talk about masturbation for a second. And I, I want to hear about also some of the stories that you're telling on on Rosie, because I think storytelling, role play, masturbation, those are all things that are very important that we get comfortable with. Mm-hmm. What do you do? There's so many stories out there from boys that their mother caught them masturbating and they were mm. horrified, but we never really hear about girls. Yeah. When do girls start masturbating in your experience? And what should we do as parents? Totally. Yes. And this comes up all the time. You know, if you are parents of a young kid, this has come up at your house. I, I feel confident. And so um, I think little boys are more kind of open about it, but little girls definitely masturbate, whether they're rubbing on a pillow, whether they're, you know, exploring their genitals with their hand. And, you know, the way that I have learned, um, and I think the best practice here is to say, to not shame them in any way, right? To say, you know what, actually that is a normal human experience and I understand that it feels good. And then you put some boundaries around it. You say that's something we do in private with our door closed. It's not something we do in public or, you know, at the dinner table or or around other people. And then you just let that be a normal part of their exploration and their natural human behavior to be exploring their bodies and doing something that we all know feels good. So that's the best way, right? To allow kids to examine and explore, but and in a shame-free way, but with boundaries. And that's mm-hmm. just the general sort of rule of thumb when it comes to expression of sexuality and guiding children kind of along the way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about religion and sexuality because, okay, you know, we I think we all watched Unorthodox. Oh, so good! I oh, love so it. good uh, on so Netflix good. and. You see her in her arranged marriage suffering from vaginismus. So first of all, I want you to tell us all what vaginismus is. And then perhaps you can talk a little bit about sex and religion, which is a mystery to most of us. I mean, I think that that show was extremely educational. So it's a a must watch if you haven't seen it. Totally. Talk to us about that. I understand that 25 million women in the U.S. alone suffer from vaginismus. So what is this mystery issue? Yes. So vaginismus is actually super common. So 10% of women have some form of vaginismus or another, and it is something going on with the brain body connection, which when there's a fear of the vulva or vagina, pelvic floor being touched, or when it is actually touched, that the pelvic floor contracts really quickly, really tightly, causing pain. So this could be, um, women describe this as when they go to try to put in a tampon, feeling like there's a wall, when they try to have an exam by a gynecologist, just jumping back on the bed and feeling so much discomfort that it's intolerable. When they try to have sex, it's absolutely impossible. So oftentimes, you know, these women will be suffering for I mean, sometimes a decade without getting the help that they need. And then they present with they're unable to, you know, become pregnant or unable to consummate their marriage because they've been able to have intercourse. And this can happen as called primary vaginismus, meaning it's been there sort of as long as the as the person can remember, 
Or it can be secondary, meaning that they used to have no problems with penetration, but then something happened subsequently and this develops. Um, So it's actually really common. And unorthodox, that show that you're referring to is about an Orthodox Jewish community. And in that, they have um, these people before they get married, there's absolutely no physical touch, things like that. And so there's a lot of anxiety sometimes around sex, and there's a higher incidence of vaginismus. Wonderful show, by the way, just agree with you totally. And there's another, mm-hmm. there's an influencer on Instagram. Her name is Batsheva Marcus, and she's an Orthodox Jewish woman and actually created, and she's a sex therapist, and actually created a class for us in Rosie about Orthodox Judaism and sexuality. And really, you know, for us, in my vision of the future world, right, women are able to maintain and hold on to and love the beautiful aspects of their religion, while also living fully a sexual relationship with themselves, with their partner, without shame. And so those are really the goals of the religion classes that we have in Rosie. And I think it's really interesting because as we were developing these classes, we did one for Orthodox Jewish women, uh, women, for Muslim women, and for conservative Christian women. It's just fascinating to me. I felt like I I was going to get my PhD in religion and sexuality because Mm. it was, there were so many similarities, right, between the issues that these women face, which is that, you know, one thing that we've already touched on is their pleasure is not prioritized. They felt a a lot of shame about sex prior to marriage, but then after marriage are expected to express their sexuality fully. And that's something that so many of us, I mean, I'm in the South and grew up in the Southern U.S., and it's there's a lot of talk about, you know, don't let them put miles on you. Don't let them take advantage of you. All of this really sex negative messaging. And then when you're, you know, in this context where sexuality is supposed to be celebrated and appreciated, oftentimes it's really hard for that brain to make a switch. Understandably so, right? And so these classes really, and sort of, I think the general thinking on this is to explore how within the context of your religion, can you express yourself fully sexually? That's really by being able to communicate effectively with your partner, which is a huge thing for all of us, being able to, you know, explore your body and show your body in a shame-free way. And also understanding that this part of life, sexuality, being a sexual being is part of who we are all as humans. And in a way that, you know, whatever the belief system is, but it was designed to be that Mm, way, right? mm. And so really exploring that idea and understanding how to live that out in whatever context, you know, is comfortable for you and your culture. Well, seeing as we're talking about sexuality and sex in the media, another great show is Call the Midwives. I yeah. don't know whether you've seen it. I it have. Absolutely fantastic. And it is. actually, last night I saw the show where the woman from Somaliland had been circumcised. Oh, yes. Which is a tradition mostly in Africa. And sadly, you know, through my work in, in philanthropy, I've traveled to all of these countries and sat with women who've been circumcised, which happens at a very young age with a knife. Mm-hmm where the clitoris is just shaved off. Absolutely traumatizing for a woman. And these religious myths and practices obviously have to stop. It's just brutal. And again, you get back to men making those decisions. However, the shocking part of that is, is that it's the mother who makes that decision to circumcise their daughter because of tradition. Exactly. There's a lot of work to be done. 
A lot of work to be done. And that's the thing, you know, it's easy as, you know, women in the UK, women in the US outside of that context, which I know you're so familiar with, but to say, oh my gosh, what are these people doing? And how can the mother make that decision? But, you know, when it's ingrained, whenever it's attached to your religion or spirituality, um, there's so many other cultural contexts there, but it all goes back to education. Just like everything we've been talking about this whole call is all about education Mm -hmm. and really Mm -hmm. sort of trying to rewire and connect, you know, those communities to um, that really important information that women experiencing pleasure is not dangerous. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the biggest pan global myth is that women experiencing pleasure is dangerous. It's a threat to men in some way. And then therefore we must try to suppress it, you know, however we can. And that looks different, right? In different cultures, but that's another clear and extreme example of that. Yeah. Well, it also gets back to power. Right. Absolutely. When you see porn, for instance, you know, most of the scenes that you see are men having power over women, mm-hmm. which gets to, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. Sure. And that show. And I've heard from a lot of my girlfriends that that was erotic for them. And Absolutely. they've read the book, they've seen the film and turn them on. Yeah. So there is a fine balance, right? How, on how we're wired. Absolutely. And that's the thing. And I think that's an important differentiator is that when we're thinking about sexual play, sexual fantasy, that that does not necessarily have anything to do with our reality, right? So certain people, some people, probably a lot of people, that's actually one of the most common categories selected on Rosie is BDSM. You know, there is some sort of eroticism associated with dominance, with power, whether it's, you know, whatever type of relationship and whomever is asserting that dominance or power, it differs obviously between people. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not to say that we are not still very powerful women in our everyday lives, but sexual play allows us to explore those fantasies in a way that maybe has absolutely nothing to do with our everyday lives. And that's totally normal and permissible and allowed. And there, you know, whether it's because it's, you know, that's been sort of trained in our minds to be highly sexual, you know, I think that that's a debate that we could have is where does the sense of eroticism come from? Um, But it's actually a very common one and definitely can be separated from how we might view our distinct personalities outside of the sexual experience. Mm. Let's now talk about vaginal care because I know that you love lube. You're a fan of the lube. Lube for everyone. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Lube for president. Um, Lube for president. That's good. We need a t-shirt. Kate, we need a t-shirt. I love it. Lube for president. Um, So talk to us about what you can and can't put on your vagina. And I've heard some people say, you know, your your vagina is as important as your face. Care for it in that way. Oh, yeah. So talk to us about that. What, What should we and what should we not be doing with our vaginas? Yes, I love it. So we just released a class in Rosie in conjunction or collaboration with this amazing OBGYN who's also an influencer at Dr. Stacy T. And she um, gave us a whole class on how to care for your vulva and vagina. And as gynecologists, the mantra is less is more, right? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of amazing products for the vulva and vagina, but that doesn't mean we need them. <laughs> and okay. we certainly don't need our vulvas and vaginas to be artificially scented, right? They smell totally perfect how they are, right? We Mm -hmm. don't need them to smell like roses or daisies or 
peonies or any other floral arrangement. Well, unless you're Gwyneth Paltrow. And, <laughs> unless you you're know. Gwyneth and yeah. you can go for it. I mean, obviously hers smells of roses. Yeah, yes, go on. <laughs> clearly. But the, the challenge is, is that the more that we add to our vulvas and vaginas, with the exception of lube for sex or lube for comfort, lube for pleasure, can really cause irritation. It can cause a contact dermatitis, which is an a rash or itching or burning. It can increase our risk for infection. And it also just sort of, um, you know, really helps to promote this idea that our vulvas and vaginas need to be somehow different than they are, right? Which is not the case. And so I would say that much like the face, the vulva and vagina are very delicate, but unlike the face where I put on like five creams a day, (laughs) we don't really need... We don't really need to do that much. We need to use a simple cleanser, not a soap that's mild and non-fragranced. And we don't need to douche. We don't need to put, you know, um, special things in our vagina or on our vulva, anti-aging or or any of these things, because they're perfectly fine just how they are. Lube, on the other hand, has a different story. Lube for pleasure, lube for sex, definitely increases pleasure, whether you're, you know, self-pleasuring, partnered pleasure using a toy. These things are all important and pleasure is increased with the addition of lube, no matter what type of sex you're having. Ooh, that's all good stuff. I have to say, I've recently found this pleasure oil that I do love. We are going to sell it on the body agency site, which is Her Highness Pleasure Oil. I mean, for me, it's amazing. It's like an orgasm in a in a drop. So I do love well, it. Well, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. I'm going to oh, buy it, Kate. I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. There's no reason to leave the house. Yeah. That's an endorsement right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of women feel very self-conscious about how their vagina smells. Sure. And, you know, it's a barrier for them where they don't want a man to perform oral sex because they think it smells bad. I've actually had uh, a man on the podcast, Alexander Taylor, who promotes vulvas for a living. Like he's the man for the vagina. And it's a great show. You should definitely I'm, tune I'm gonna into definitely, it. I'm going to definitely, yes. That sounds very interesting. But he he told me that, you know, he's never met a vagina he doesn't love. And most men <laughs> feel that way. But why do we have that barrier? Yeah. Why do we think that way? And oral sex is obviously a very popular thing for both men and women. Yeah. And I don't know if women coming into your practice talk about that. Absolutely, they do. And I think it just goes back to this idea of, you know, we are just, there's just something about us and it's about the world that we live in and that we're raised in. How many of us are not ashamed of our body in some way, right? And then when it comes to our sexual sort of organs and this other whole thing that's surrounded in shame and secrecy, it just compounds that sexual shame that so many of us feel. But the truth of the matter is outside of an infection, right? Clearly, if you have a vaginal infection and that gives a, that's a different odor that should be treated, the way that the vagina smells outside of infection is actually really normal. And I promise you, I've examined lots of vulvas and vaginas. And, you know, generally speaking, like I said, outside of infection, it's pretty much all the same. You know what I mean? So we don't, as women, have the opportunity to have that experience and say, wow, I've literally looked at thousands of vulvas and vaginas and mine's not that different or special, like hate to break it. 
but that's the message that we need to be spreading. And unfortunately, you know, the media and, and big companies sometimes want to make us feel otherwise. Like there's something wrong with our vulvas and vaginas. We need to be making them smell like flowers. And if they don't, then we can, you know, there was just a big marketing campaign that was called glow up your vagina targeted at teen girls. And it's just, you know, it's atrocious because no teen girl needs to be glowing up her vagina and certainly no adult woman does either. So, and I love this guy, whoever you're talking about, that he's, he's never met one he doesn't like because really once the more you see, the more, you know, that they're all very similar and there's nothing wrong with any of them. (laughs) Yeah. No, and these pictures that you see with flowers over the vagina is absolutely sending the wrong message. So in your experience, do they all smell the same, Lindsay? I would say absolutely. Outside of infection, like I have said, they all smell the same. It's sort of like a musty, you know, earthy scent. And that's perfect. That's exactly how our bodies were created. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing that needs to be changed about that. And and most partners absolutely love it because it is, you know, associated with, you know, erotic experiences. So just Mm -hmm. like we were talking about other associations, you know, that smell can definitely be erotic for partners as well. Mm. So let's spend the next few minutes that we have together talking about the whole topic of this podcast, and that's how to get your groove back. You're a mother, you've got three kids running around, uh, you've been married for 20 years, and the last thing you want to do is go to bed and have sex with your husband, right? Totally. I hear you. What advice are you giving us all? Oh my gosh. There's literally so many things, right? So we have to say, okay, is our goal to increase desire, right? For whatever the purpose is, to make us feel like we've got our groove back, to increase our emotional or physical connection with our partner, to just experience orgasms more frequently. If our goal is to increase desire, then there's so many different ways to do that, right? So first of all, a lot of times having sex or getting our groove back is kind of like getting your fitness back, right? So you might Mm. have a goal of feeling better through exercise. And actually exercise can improve desire too. So these things go hand in hand in more ways than one. But so it's not as if you just wake up and all of a sudden one day you want to go to the gym and work out. No, you get together a game plan. You buy some new workout gear. You put some time on your calendar to go to the gym. Maybe you, um, you know, write down some fitness goals or sign up for, you know, a fitness event that will motivate you. For getting our groove back, it's exactly like that, right? We have to make an intentional decision that this is a part of our lives that we're going to focus on. And then we take actions in order to do that. So some definite easy ways to start are to reprioritize sex on your list of things to do, right? Because Mm -hmm. what happens for so many of us in the situation you just described, which I've been married for 13 years, but otherwise I'm exactly in the same situation. It's like, okay, I'm going to work all day, work my butt off, in fact. And then I'm going to do some laundry and then I'm going to make dinner and then I'm going to do some more work maybe or whatever else you've got to do around the house. And then it's like 1030 or 11 and it's like, are we going to have sex? No, you're exhausted because you waited until the very last moment and without any energy left to quote unquote prioritize that part of your life. So we have to look for ways. We There's a saying at Rosie, sex before dishes, right? Those dishes Ooh. can wait. That laundry can wait. You know, whatever. Just look for opportunities to bring 
what sex with yourself, sex with your partner back up on the list of priorities, because that's when it will happen. That's when the magic will go down. And for many women, we have something that's called responsive desire rather than spontaneous desire. And we have to take advantage of that. But just like learning that most of us have orgasms through clitoral stimulation, we're missing out on this piece of education, generally speaking. So what that means is that just like the gym, you don't really want to go to the gym, but once you're there and you're like in the middle of whatever you're doing, you're like, oh, this feels amazing. Sex is like that for a lot of women, right? So you might not have a spontaneous desire to have sex, but there are things we can use to get that kickstarted. One of those being erotica, which actually has great evidence about increasing desire, arousal, orgasm, and lubrication, all aspects of sexual health. So we oftentimes will tap into that knowledge of, hey, erotica is going to help my sexual health. And I, I would like to have sex X number of times a month or whatever. So therefore, I'm going to access erotica to try to get my brain working and thinking in these sexual ways so then I can achieve my goal of more intimacy with myself or with my partner. So there's lots of tips and tricks like that. There's over-the-counter supplements that are available. There are prescription medications that are available. And it just kind of depends on what's going on in a, in a certain situation. That's really what Rosie, the platform, was designed to do to say, hey, welcome to this really robust and caring community. Let's sort of identify some factors that could be going on for you. Here's some wonderful information to help you tackle those things and get your groove back so that, you know, you can live the fullest life, just like we might have, like we talked about a fitness goal or a, you know, a public speaking goal or a professional goal. We can also have these sexual wellness goals and they're worth our time and attention because the benefits obviously are so many and so big. Mm. Well, I have downloaded your app and oh, I am using it and we are so thrilled at the body agency to drive our customer to the site. Thank you. And to download the app. So I am so thrilled to have you here always, Lindsay. Dr. Lindsay Harper, amazing. You are just so inspirational and I'm so proud of what you've done. And we are going to build this movement together. I feel very, very confident that this, at every dinner party, this is something we should be talking about, not whispering to ourselves and giggling in the corner. We, this needs to be in the mainstream and you're helping us to get there. So we really appreciate you. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. And likewise, I am just in awe and admiration of all the work that you've already done in the world. And I'm so excited to be partnered with you to help continue to push this movement forward and change the world so that when we want to have conversations about this, we can, and that women feel empowered to to find the resources that they need and deserve. So thanks for, thanks for being in this together. I'm so excited. Well, I'll end this with a quick story. A friend of mine told me who is in exactly the situation where she's had a couple of kids with her husband. They've been married for donkey's years. And when you said sex before <laughs> dishes, it cracked me up because she told me that the other day she was loading the dishwasher and she was bending over the dishwasher. And her husband literally came home and, you know, grabbed her and they had sex over the dishes. <laughs> there so, we go. There's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I love so, it. Anyway, Lindsay, thank you for being with us. And um, I know we have so many more of these podcasts in us to really get deep and get our group back. So Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Kate. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health 
and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. Be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts. Thanks for listening.